everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Relative Pitch. Today, we have the famous director of bands at Western Michigan University, Dr. Scott Borma. Hello, Dr. Borma. Can you give us a brief or extensive musical background from how you started to where you are now? Oh, my goodness. Um, Taking a lot of different paths to where I am, so I I won't get into all the details, but uh, basically... um, My father was the high school band director in town. So music was a pretty big part of my life growing up. Band was a big part of my life. Um, And he, you know, he never really forced me or encouraged me down that path. It just seemed like the right thing to me. I just was very into music my whole life and uh, watched his career and what he did. And uh, at an early age knew that that's what I want to do and uh, planned to be a high school band director for my whole life. And uh, that didn't quite happen. Took some different directions, but I was for quite a few years. And I've always been uh, pretty fascinated with notes and rhythms and harmonies and how they all work together. So as as early as I can remember, I kind of would dabble at uh, the family upright piano and just try out different sounds and write down different chords and things like that. So both being a, a, a band director for the rest of my life and composing and arranging music were something I just kind of knew I was going to do at an early age and uh, through many different paths toward where I am now. That's that's kind of how it happened. Nice, nice. So I have a very big question. If people do not know, you have earned degrees from three different universities in Michigan. So how does it feel to work at two of the schools that you went to to earn a degree? Yeah, you know, it's great. It was never really part of my plan. When I I did my my undergrad in music education here at Western Michigan University and um, go Broncos. And um, like I said, um, planned to be a band director, but I decided right out of my undergrad that that I was interested enough in composition that I wanted to learn more about that. And getting a master's degree, you know, at that point was, well, how do you earn a little bit more as a high school band director? Well, you get a master's degree. So at the time I figured, well, let me go right ahead and, and do that um, right out of my undergrad, because I, I knew that once I got into the trenches, it would be really hard to leave my, my teaching job and go back and get it. And, you know, in retrospect, I might have done it differently, but at the time it seemed like a good idea. So I went to the University of Michigan to work on composition. I learned about halfway through that degree that I could actually get a music ed degree and still keep taking the same music composition classes and study with my same teachers. And so I actually ended up getting the music ed degree, but it was a highly composition was the reason I went there and and yeah to um you know then became a high school band director for 12 years um never really had teaching at the university level as a part of the the master plan it really wasn't and just by and we'll maybe get into some of those details a little bit later but eventually going the university route teaching at eastern michigan university for six years and then coming home to the university of michigan to be the associate director of bands director of the michigan marching band where i did my master's degree was pretty thrilling um and then you know i have to say when i took that job i had my sets on my sights set on Western. I was hoping that my predecessor would retire just the right time and, and just the stars aligned and somehow they bought my interview and, <laughs> and hired me to be back home. So in answer to your, 
your original question, it feels really great. You know, I sit in the office of my former director of bands at Western, which is still surreal to me. You know, I just never in a million years thought that that would happen. But uh, Western um, is the same place that I remember it being just a very nurturing, caring environment. Everybody, your success is my success. The faculty intertwine and get along in all disciplines, not just band world you know i hang out with people from every discipline and that doesn't happen in all universities you know sometimes there can be kind of camps and uh i've felt very much so that when i got home I, it, it it was everything i expected and hoped it would be and uh, and we all support each other and anyway great to be home nice and also i i saw that um, through all of your journeys, you end up um, actually arranging and composing for some great DCI groups as well, from Madison Scouts to Spirit of Atlanta. Um, how did you, you know, get into DCI realm from, you know, strictly collegiate to DCI? Well, um, again, as early as I can remember, my dad took me to drum corps shows, you know, when I was in middle school. You know, I remember my first show, my first drum course show I ever went to was Whitewater, Wisconsin. They used to have this Midwest um, uh, uh, finals in, in Whitewater. And it happened to be that that year was the year that the Madison Scouts won the world championships. And it, at the time, it never occurred to me that I, I would ever be with that core or be arranging for a major drum corps. But, you know, through high school, I got very much into the drum corps, watched the DCI tapes and the PBS broadcasts and all those things. And um, just got kind of got into it when I got in the back of my mind, I thought, well, maybe someday I'll march in one of those cores and got to be my junior year at Western or maybe my sophomore year. And I realized I had two more years of eligibility before I aged out after 21. That's as old as you can be in the course or at least back then. Um, and so I had a friend in the Bronco marching band that was a member of the Madison Scouts. And he said, why don't you come along to audition camp, check it out. So a friend of mine, uh, actually, we we're both drum majors of the Bronco marching band at the time. He, buddy and buddy of mine, who's still my, my best friend and still lives here in town. Um, we decided, let's, let's check it out. So we drove to Madison audition for the core and uh, made the baritone line. And I ended up playing with them for two years and upon, um, aging out, they asked me to come back and be on brass staff, which was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I had this opportunity. I went on brass staff and, and I had been arranging for high school. I wrote for my dad's high school band when I was in high school still. That was kind of my first arranging gig. Um, and then I started writing for some area competition high school bands in Michigan. So by the time I started marching in this, and I was writing for the Western um, marching band by then, um, I kind of had had some experiences arranging for for a lot of marching bands and um a couple years into my brass instructorship at at madison scouts i became the caption head of the brass line and um it was time at there was an arranger change that needed to happen at one point and the director looked at the brass staff and who's got the most arranging chops who's got this experience it was me and so around 1988 i started doing a lot of the rewrites the road rewrites um when the arranger couldn't be in on on tour and so kind of auditioned by writing all those rewrites and um it didn't hurt that we won the national championships that year as well and uh so by the next year i was officially the arranger for the core and suddenly you know, you start arranging for a top 12 drum course, suddenly people start calling and you start getting gigs and I'm starting to write for 
competitive high school bands, university bands, and it went like that. And again, didn't see it coming, but just seemed to happen the right time. Wow. And so I arranged for them for, gosh, since 1999 through 2006, you know, for a bunch of reasons that decided it was time. A lot of the staff members went on to other things around that time. And I wrote for Spirit of Atlanta for a bunch of years, came back to the Madison Scouts for a few years. In the meantime, wrote for several other corps, Pioneer, the Minnesota Brass Senior Corps, um, Caballeros um, Senior Corps, you know, a bunch of a, a score, a corps in Scotland, a corps. I wrote for a corps in Yokohama, Japan for many years called the Inspires. This, this group was awesome. It was Japanese corps and they only did Spanish bullfight music. <laughs> so it was just kind of this mix of cultures. that was really fantastic. I got to go over there and work with them. And so, yeah, my, my life has been pretty heavily saturated by, by drum corps experience. I, I finally went cold turkey, resigned from the Madison Scouts a few years ago and just said, you know, it's time to just focus on my other things, at least for a while. For <laughs> a while, Jesus. <laughs> I know, it goes on. So uh, as someone who has never done marching band ever or DCI ever, I'm going to take us back to the concert setting. Okay, great. <laughs> um, so why don't you uh, tell us some, about some of the compositions you have written that have been played by President's Own, Dallas Wins, like all these these great ensembles. Like uh, what are how are, what are some of those compositions and how did you come to writing them? Oh, goodness. Um, they all kind of run together after a while, um, I guess. You know, when I when I was a senior in high school, I was um, even though I was also dabbling in marching band arrangements and jazz band arrangements, I was starting to write symphonic band work, com concert band pieces. I, I, I my senior year, I took an independent or a, what do you call it? Study hall or something by myself to just write. And I was able to just focus on writing. And then my dad would give me input. The choir director would give me input. The orchestra director would give me input and um, had a couple things played by my high school band. And by the time I got to Western, the director of bands at the time, Dick Suddendorf, had played a couple pieces of mine with the band. And so just kind of got going on that as well. I took every composition class I could take at Western while I was here. Um, and so writing symphonic band, concert band works were, were equally a part of my interest. And, you know, I got in, I was teaching and then do, doing my composition work at Michigan, teaching at the high school level. I would, I got, got so busy. I didn't make enough time for writing original things. So the arrangements kind of became a, a second career, but I wasn't writing a whole lot of original music. And, um, I had been writing a lot of marching band arrangements for the University of Michigan and the director of bands there at the time, H. Robert Reynolds, um, was asked by somebody at some university, it happened to be University of Dayton, um, he wanted to commission somebody to write a fanfare to celebrate an anniversary, happened to be the sesquicentennial um, anniversary of their university. And Bob Reynolds, knowing my writing with the Michigan Marching Band, um, said, you know, you want a fanfare kind of opening? This is your guy. Ask Scott Borman to write this piece. I'm like, oh my gosh, I you know, haven't been writing a lot of concert band stuff for a lot of years. But I said, okay, wrote this this piece um, that they, the University of Dayton happened to play at a CBDNA regional um, event. And, you know, that room is filled with college and high school band directors, mainly college level band directors. Um, and uh, well, it's, it's my wife, high school band director at Plymouth Canton High School for many, many years, she decided to play this piece with her band. They took it to this Bands of America 
National Concert Festival. Um, Jim Keen, the director of the director of bands at the University of Illinois at the time, heard her band play this piece and like, what is this piece? And she said, oh, well, it happens to be my husband. And so he commissioned me to write a piece um, for the Illinois Wind Symphony um, called, and I called it Fanfare for a Golden Sky. There's a story behind that um, as well. And so to have the University of Illinois Wind Symphony play a piece of mine was a big deal, you know, and then he ended up take um, playing it all over the place and recording it on a series with the University of Illinois bands. Um, I'm trying to think of it did so many connections that, that go through this. Um, he he then would conduct it with a lot of honor bands. Like he'd be asked to be the guest conductor at a Texas honor band or something like that. And he tended to program that piece a lot. So it started getting uh, some notoriety. I think that was the first one that really started to take off. In the meantime, I had been writing a couple pieces for the Arrangers Publishing Company with Jay Dawson. Um, and so I was starting to get some play out there a little bit, but having that University of uh, Illinois connection really took off. And then a few years later, he asked me to write another piece because he's going to take the Illinois band to New York to play at Carnegie Hall. And he needed a piece to open up his performance at Carnegie Hall. Are you kidding me? So it was like, oh, wow, what a, what a great opportunity. Wrote another piece called Cityscape. It's a little bit lengthier, a little bit more involved of a symphonic fanfare concert opening kind of piece. Um, and then he played it at uh, Carnegie Hall and it um, did a recording of it, Illinois bands thing. So and I, those kind of two pieces really kind of got the, the, the word out there and then just started getting commissions from various various ensembles. Back to your, your original question, um, the president's own happened to pick up on fanfare for a golden sky and i just by chance saw an advertisement for a concert they were giving they're playing my piece wow you know these kind of things and um let's see what jerry junkin at the university of texas heard my fanfare for a golden sky asked me to write a brass percussion only version of it they do these fanfare things at the beginnings of a lot of their Dallas Wind Symphony concerts. And so I got that play, that led to other things. And, you know, everything ties into to your connections and your, you know, those little opportunities that just happen to pop up. Um, gosh, what are, what are some others? Jim Keen from Illinois introduced me at Midwest Clinic to the, the people at the Neil Chose Publishing Company. And I had written like six or seven things that I hadn't published at the time and they liked the stuff. So suddenly they published a bunch of pieces of mine, including a piece called Poem that's gotten a lot of play over the years. Um, there's a piece that I wrote for New Trier High School in um, North Chicago called Porta Negra. Um, oh gosh, what are the other ones? A piece called... You have a, a very long discography. It's like, oh my goodness. Well, it's just, you know, and, and I do not consider myself, you know, there's a lot of composers out there who their whole existence is to write pieces and to, mm -hmm. and I've, I've kind of, it's been a, a side, it's like a moonlighting thing for me and, and that I've but happened to, to have some of these things take off, but I don't, you know, I don't write enough and I don't promote enough to, to have a huge catalog out there. And I'm not, and even, you know, when, when 2008, when the financial crash of 2008 came around, most publishing companies really stopped wanting to um, publish a lot of 
grade six, grade five harder pieces. Mm -hmm. The real bread and butter was in the grade one, grade two pieces. And I just wasn't getting commissions to write that. And I just, you know, I've never been able to just write for the sake of writing. It's always been because of commission. Somebody's asking me and the people that tend to ask me are universities or upper level high school groups. And so, you know, I've, I, I've got a good catalog of, of pieces out there, but a lot of them um, I've self-published um, since the, the 2008 time. And, um, you know, I, but I don't put any effort into really selling and really putting it out there. Um, they're on my website if people happen to stumble upon them or if they happen to hear a piece um, so played somewhere by me. And uh, anyway, that was a long answer to your short question. <laughs> AKA booked and busy forever. (laughs) Um, Wow. I'm just like soaking all that. Yeah. So we have a, we have a term on the show and we call it booked and busy. And you just personified all that with all the things you have done. And you still just look like you have a great time. Oh, I do. how, How lucky am I that I get to make a living making music and you know, it's, it, we're so fortunate to do what we do and yeah, it's hard. It's busy. It's never ending. And there's always something better you can do, but gosh, I'm a very fortunate person. I was going to ask, so you do some summer work with Blue Lake. Mm-hmm. You also do some summer work with Interlochen sometimes. And I was wondering if you have seen a common trend from when you were a high school band director to now in the development of high school musicians going into college, going to these summer festivals and what has changed and what has been maybe the biggest area of change since then to now, when you see college freshmen coming into Western. Goodness. How do I say this without sounding like the old man is those kids, those darn kids. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, I, I think it's cliche, but it's true. Um, I think because young people are spread more and more and more in so many directions, I don't sense that there's a focus to being really great at one or two things. I think there's a focus at being pretty good at a lot of different things. And that's not necessarily bad, but it's, you know, I don't see the same kind of um, work ethic toward reaching those ultimate goals that I, that I feel I used to see with my high school students when I started out back in the late 80s. Um, and I don't think it's anybody's fault and it might not even be a bad thing. Maybe society changes in different ways and, and that's, we become maybe people that have a lot of pretty good abilities. Maybe they're more valuable than somebody who can play the trumpet perfectly. You know, I hate to say that to you, Michael, but <laughs> um, I, I think there's a lot to be said for somebody that devotes their life to playing the trumpet and playing it better than anybody. And that's the person who's going to get the Chicago Symphony gig. Probably mm-hmm. not the person that's pretty good at everything, but maybe all those people don't need to be the principal trumpet of Chicago Symphony. Maybe there's, there's certainly, there's room for people that want to explore different avenues and have their fingers in a lot of different pots. I certainly question myself that, you know, I do so many different things in composition, arranging, teaching, conducting. I feel like, boy, if I just would focus on my conducting 
man, I could have been really great at that. Or if I had focused it on my trombone for more than just college, I, I was a pretty good trombone player at one point, but don't ask me to play now. If I focused my whole life on composition, I'd probably be a pretty darn good composer. I probably have a lot more pieces published out there, but I just like doing a lot of different mm -hmm. things. And I think our young young people seem to be of that mindset also which again i don't think is bad back to your original question you know um i haven't actually taught at blue lake for a bunch of years probably over, mm. over 12 years or so but i did i did summer bands there for a while and i'm conducting an interlock in here and there um so i do see students that do that and you know the percentage of students that choose to give up a couple weeks or interlock in six weeks of their summer to focus on their music you know I, I feel feel there are lesser numbers of those people that have that kind of devotion to it but mm -hmm. maybe the quality is higher because it's so it's those people that really want to pursue that um it's a it's a complicated question i feel like um when I was in college, again, here sounds like the old man. When I was in college, I wanted to play in the, the wind ensemble, wind symphony, whatever it was called. I wanted to play in the, unit, the symphony orchestra. I wanted to play in the jazz orchestra. I wanted to play in combos. I wanted to play in the gold company, big band. I played in all those things because any opportunity I could get to play my trombone, man, I'm going to do it. Today, I kind of feel like, oh, I don't want to do too much because it might hurt my embouchure and it might... Maybe it's just too much. Maybe I'm spread too thin. Well, I don't know. I survived doing it all. And I did pretty okay. And my amateur is just fine. <laughs> Again, you don't want to hear me play. But, uh, you know, at the time, playing in all these ensembles, you know, just trombone players, a little different than being a horn player or a trumpet player with a small, small amateur. But it never occurred to me that doing too much was a thing. Like, I did mm -hmm. too much. I still do too much. And, you know, frankly, I feel like I've had a pretty satisfying life and continue to have satisfying life. So I, I kind of think we've become a little bit, I don't know, not weak, but we've come a little bit too careful sometimes of, I don't know, what do I know? <laughs> it's an interesting concept, like you bringing up the idea that kids are becoming, I guess, more multifaceted and having a lot of more different interests. And it's something as Anthony, you're an educator now as well. Um, and um, Michael, you teach private lessons. So do I. And my kids, they don't just do flute. They're in so many different extracurriculars and they're doing sports. They're in AP classes. Um, and the thing about it, and I, I will have to say, I don't think it's necessarily the fact that they don't want to focus on one particular thing. I think it's the fact that they know that they have to. In order to get into universities now, they don't just want someone who can play the trombone pretty good, you know? <laughs> or even if it's really great, they're also like, all right, so what else? Yeah. Um, because it's become, that our field has become that now. And over the pandemic especially, unfortunately we saw, you know, uh, players from the Metropolitan Opera who we would consider some of the best players in the world not have any financial anything because of what happened and it's not i definitely don't think it's necessarily like a lack of a discipline or maybe a lack of focus i think more than anything it's the idea that our field and society in general is going away from this idea of a one-track person to someone who is now amazing at so many different things and i think that's some ways i think we see that as being a little bit more um 
more impressive than someone who just kind of goes to do one thing and only that one thing. Because um, usually even those people who are great at that one thing, they're really great at other things too. And it just happens to be that way. And so um, I, I have I have a soft spot in my heart for kids. And I guess we are still kids. I'm a kid. <laughs> and for, you know, going into these audition processes and uh, uh, like applying to schools, applying to jobs, they don't just care about one thing. They're going to go into so many different layers of who you are, what you can bring to them, and you you have to. And the pandemic really emphasized the fact that you can no longer be one thing. Yeah. You have to be so many things, and you have to be, do those so many things really, really well. Yeah. Um, so that's a really interesting, yeah, idea that that kids are sh- kind of showing that more, even at these amazing, prestigious summer camps. The kids are playing great they probably still have three other things they do really well. And that's, I think that's just how it's becoming. As long, and I agree with you completely, as long as the things that they choose to pursue, they choose to go 110. And sometimes I think it's easy to say, I'm just so busy, I can't. And that might be the reality of everybody's unique situation. But if you're going to pursue things, you gotta gotta give it everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the thing. I know my parents always told me, if you're going to choose to do something, you got to give your full effort and you got to strive to be the best at what you do. Um, So and I do see my kids like my students in my marching band alone. I mean, I have volleyball players. I have baseball players. I have. And it's just like everything they do on top of trying to get 100 service hours so that they can actually afford to go to college. So it's a lot of you know, things going on and, and, you know, college is not cheap at all. It is really not. Exactly. Um, And so when I hear these students and they're saying, I have to get a hundred, you know, service hours. So I need to, on my Saturdays, I can't do this because I have to, you know, go to the boys and girls club and help because that is getting my hours. And then as band directors, we think, well, we have a practice, you know, we have this, but then, like for my my students, I work in a more low income school. This is this is how they're going to get to college, and so that has been like a bare reality check for me as an educator. Is I want to see these students go to college. Right. Yes, I would love for them to be all involved in music, but just to get there and to get that next level education, that is what I care about the most. And um, these students, they are having a lot to do, a lot to do, but hey, they still they still sound great and they still play amazing. And I love them as my kids, so <laughs> it is really good. And one thing, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just agreeing with you. So one thing, uh, you talked about your trombone. So I would never forget, I was at the Columbus State Conductor Symposium and I was watching and I, I really believe it was um, fanfare for Vienna Philharmonic. And it was you and Dr. Nix. Y'all were literally doing the slide positions for the song, like as it was going. Like they were li- they were just sitting on the side and they were just going back. And like uh, we had, I had a friend of mine, we were just like, look at them. They look like they're having the best time, not even playing trombone, <laughs> but like airplane trombone. Like That's you funny. really enjoyed it. It's, you had this amazing career, but at the end of the day, you're still a musician. And that was just clear to see 
Um, yeah, I remember yeah, that completely. And, and a couple of his grad students took a video from upstairs. It was actually Shostakovich Festival. Yes, that's what it was. Yes, yes. And we were just having a blast because we yes. both, you know, he and I were both trombone players and he and I have been friends for a billion years. And and so just, yeah, we neither of us had a, an assignment at that point. We we're just loving it, just enjoying the music and having fun and yes. be there together. So that's that's interesting. I'm, I'm yeah. And I think, um, and what you just said, um, enjoy the music. I think sometimes we we get so caught up in, you know, it got to be perfect. It has to be this. It has to be that. That we sometimes forget to enjoy the music. Um, and I actually watched um, you rehearse a band before, and I you actually said, "Kids, enjoy what you're doing. Like you're on the stage, enjoy." So can you talk about that? How you know we still have to enjoy the music at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. Boy, I, I completely agree. And, you know, I back to my my childhood, my dad was was a great high school band director, very, um, you know, but that was back in the 70s and 80s. And, and the style of being a band director was kind of the old William D. Ravelli, Harry Beejan mm -hmm, mm -hmm. kind of kind of way of doing it. Um, and, you know, I think I was kind of a part of the transition where you, we have to demand excellence, but we also have to treat people well. We have to be encouraging, give positive reinforcement. Um, so it was, you know, it's a challenge for me as a young teacher to to remember those things. And you know, if I could go back and and be a high school band director over, there's a billion things I'd do differently. I would I would try more. Uh, diligently to be more positive and more encouraging and find the good things instead of fixing the bad things all the time. And so I think it's a nature of what we do sometimes as a conductor slash rehearser. Um, it's, you know, I always use the analogy with my conducting students. It's like we're, we're Michelangelo with a block of granite and our job is to carve away everything that doesn't look like the David, you know, and and so by always carving, it's a negative connotation of just getting rid of the crap. So the beauty shines through. And but there's a lot of beauty on the way there. We can have music, you know, the, a week ago after a, well, two weeks ago, after a, a year and a half of not making music with full ensembles, you know, we with the Wind Symphony of Western, we read through the Hinnemann Symphony in B flat. And I tell you what, it didn't sound great, but it was fun it was yeah. exciting to be making music with people again and you know that's one thing that hopefully the pandemic has done for us has made us really appreciate all the fantastic things we were doing before it and try to cherish those opportunities and you know i i remind myself every day before i step on the podium it never you never get to a point where you step up there and you've got it all figured out. You just do the thing. There's always, I always remind myself, okay, try not to, when I'm showing intensity, try not to show tension. All the things I learned as an undergrad student conducting, but most of all, let's make musical happenings happen in the room. Yes, I'm going to point out errors. Yes, I'm going to fix. Yes, I'm going to break things down. Yes, I'm going to try to make sure that we're all on the same page on this, but I'm going to, I, I must make sure that everybody in that room has a musical experience while they're there because that's why they're there in the first place. They didn't come here because they love rehearsing. Mm -hmm. They came here because something in their lives said, gosh, I love music. 
it's it just makes me whole. And so I have to remember that it's my job to continue um, um, exuding my confidence and my excitement about why I've been doing this my whole life. And, you know, we just have to remind ourselves that we can have fun getting great. And I think that's sometimes we, that gets lost in the mix that um, working hard is just is work. You know, I love work. I love working hard. It's fun to me, especially if I'm making music with other human beings. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, so I try to remind myself about that all the time. And I fail miserably at awesome, always. <laughs> you know, there, I, whenever I hear a student say, gosh, Dr. Bormer freaks me out or he scares the heck out of me. You know, and I'm, I'm always amazed. Why, why, how could you, I love you. I love being with you I, every day. I love making music with you. How could I freak you out? Well, when I watch a video of myself teaching, I'm like, man, you're pretty intense. <laughs> you know? I love the is not meant to be negative. It's just in excitement, you know, and, and I have to re okay, well, how am I not reaching this person that way? And how can I, how can it be? I don't want there to be fear or I don't want there to be um, nervousness. I want it to be like, man, isn't it awesome how excited he is about music? And, and, you know, so we're all, we're so imperfect and we're always just trying to find ways to show our enthusiasm in, in the most healthy, positive ways we can. And hopefully we get there sometimes. <laughs> I, um, I called these two after our first rehearsal and I was like, you know, the strange thing is, like Dr. Bourne would be singing loudly, very at us, like very loudly when we, he needs to hear a certain thing. And I'm like, I do that too. I'm like, this is going to be fun. <laughs> and I'm just sitting back there. I'm like, Oh, I do that too. But I was going to hint on something earlier, the music making part of it. And after two years of not being able to do it at a grand scale, coming back to it. Also in that two years, we lost a lot of people in the profession. Yeah. They left to go do other things. They left to go be an accountant or a loan manager or all this other stuff. And I think there is going to need to be not, there has to be, and there is a surge of like the new music educators is coming out right now. The music educators that's at Western, at Kennesaw, at New Mexico, wherever is like igniting that love for music, pushing them out into the field and getting them to ignite that love of music in their students through different ways not just great uh, music, performing great things, but combining the music they hear at home on the radio to music they hear in the concert hall, in the band hall. Like, you know, that that right there, the, the pop tune you heard? Yeah, it's kind of like what we're doing in here. We start with this theme, we go somewhere else, we come back to the theme. That's what they do in the song. That's what we're doing here. And getting them to share that love of music and back in, in buying into band we don't have Beyonce's, to get kids. Beyonce's still doing Sonata Allegro form. <laughs> I mean, recapitulation is the essence of music. It's you're right. Yeah. That's a great point. But I'm I'm just like, I think that has to be like the number one goal, especially music education majors and like performance majors who go out and teach sectionals and lessons and stuff, blah, 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 blah. Um, and sometimes we get too minute, like we're like, gotta make a good sound and then we'll get to the music and like no let them play sometimes but like music education majors and music educators got to be out there getting kids to buy back into the love of music because there was a wall built up at some point that the music you hear on the radio that's cool that is music but that's not real music <laughs> and it's like okay so now you're going to get kids to hate band because they think it's like 
you're making like a distinct positive uh, distinction. So I think that's a huge thing I'm starting to see in some educators, especially after the two year break is like, okay, let's just everybody, let's just love music together. And you know, if this B flat scale sounds like an E flat scale, you know, it's okay. Cause there's like, there's an E flat in the B flat. So, right. you know, we're halfway there. <laughs> I like that. We can make it work. We can make it work. Yeah. Well, you know, last year there were, there were a lot of our music ed students kind of second guessing. And as you say, we lost, you know, I don't know how many we, we lost cause we have a very large music ed population, but um, you know, a lot of them questioning to Dr. Land saying, Dr. Land, how you know what people out in the schools are not teaching band anymore because they've got a pandemic well you know of course the easy answer is well hopefully this pandemic's not going to be around forever hopefully we're going to you know get everybody taken care of and, and safe and, and get through this and get back to what we're doing but me, there's always going to be a need for music education music has been around since cave people were writing things on the cave walls they had people playing instruments or singing i mean this is not something that is new this is something that humans need they need to express through art and so there's always going to be a need to, to teach students and what a prime opportunity right now because there's such a renewed excitement about getting out there and doing it together and you know to your your point michael i you know typically when i go home i don't put on Hindemith to listen to while I'm making dinner, you know, put on their Spotify, some, you know, channel of various music. I, I just want to listen to something that's a little bit lighter and just feels good and makes me feel good. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking about this idea of like just education in general, especially with like younger students and stuff. Um, I saw, I was like reading your bio and everything and saw the work you were doing for Music for All, the summer symposium. Um, and can you speak more about that and like why that you, uh, why you chose to work with that uh, organization? They asked me. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I've, I've been, it, it used to be Bands of America, you know, and before that it was Marching Bands of America. So that, that organization has been around throughout my entire career. It's been a highly respected organization and, and the things that they've done have always been on very high level. Um, since they became Music for All, you know, they're, they've rewritten their goals and I think their priorities, like anything, evolve over the years. And I'm just a really big fan of um, their their approach to music education, even though they sponsor very highly competitive events, they also are very much about the, the, the child and developing uh, the, their, their motto is positively life-changing life experiences. You know, it doesn't mean winning competitions. It means positively life-changing experiences to in using music as, as one of the many vehicles toward evolving into a happy, well-adjusted, successful human being. And so I really like their the philosophy of that and the, the opportunity, the things I've done with them. I conducted the, the summer symposium honor band one summer, and, but I, I, I adjudicate their, the national concert festival every spring. I've been doing that for like 12 years or so. And sometimes I'll be the person that's evaluating and giving critique to the conductors about specifically their conducting. Sometimes I'll be working with the students on stage or giving, um, 
you know, like an, a regular adjudicator at a normal festival. So that there's a variety of things. And as much as the experience of working with these students, working with those directors, talking to them about their conducting, giving them some, some helpful safety hints of things that they could do to maybe be even more effective for their students. And the, the adjudicators and clinicians that I get to hang with all the time, that's it's amazing to be able to, to throw ideas off each other and, and just kind of laugh and tell stories about what we do. Um, I, I've learned more about being a, a conductor slash teacher slash arranger slash composer by the conversations I've had with other people who are great at that than pretty much anything. And uh, it's just, it's been a very positive, nurturing environment to be involved in and continue to be involved in. Yeah, I've actually watched because um, on YouTube um, there was uh, I saw you actually work with um, I think it was actually two high schools um, in which it that is like a really, really um, great thing. And I know Music for All actually have different in different states. They have that same thing. Um, so it was really, really cool to see that. I mean, I saw you get to work with the conductors and the ensemble. And at the end of the day, they the ensemble sounded like just great. And I think that is so good because um, a lot of ensembles only get to see their band director. They don't get to hear anything else from anybody else. So I think that is a cool thing that Music for All um, really do is, hey, just, we want to hear your music. You're doing great things. Here's just something to make it a little better. Um, yep. So such a great, great, great thing. And then I have a question because as a band director, I know our jobs are a lot. It, we go home and we're like, oh my God, that was a day. But you also, as we talked about earlier, is a, a like a composer. How do you kind of balance all of your job, all of your titles, how do you balance that out? Do you have like a, a motto or a, a, a hour of just meditation? Like how do you balance that out? That's a good idea. I should investigate that. But I was, if I were initiating this Zoom, I would share my screen and show you um, what I was doing before you called. Um, sorry, I'm just getting this to a different place. Yeah, so my, my, um, my weekends are, my, if you'd look that way, you'd see, uh, we live on a lake. There's a lake right there in Portage, south of Kalamazoo. And, you know, our whole lives, my wife and I have talked, one day we're gonna buy a place on a lake. Well, we did here, this was massive reconstruction thing but the you know it's location 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 and i watch every weekend these people on boats and skis and rowboats and they're out fishing and just hanging out i hardly ever take the time to do that because i've got some piece i need to write or i've got some arrangement that i need to write so my weekends unless i'm going to support the the bronco marching band or you know going over and seeing the Michigan band playing some of my arrangements or whatever. Um, I'm writing every weekend. Mm. And, and there are a lot of times that I go, gosh, I would just love to take a weekend off. And then I think, Oh, I've got this deadline in a month. I'm never going to get it done. I can't do that. And then I get absorbed in the music. It's like, Oh, this is cool. You know, I get to do this and make notes and, um, 
fortunately I'm married to, my wife is a musician, music teacher. She gets it. Mm. She um, understands the satisfaction I get from it. She wishes I wasn't stressed all the time. (laughs) She wishes I wasn't busy all the time. But then again, she says, wow, how nice to be married to somebody that has such a work ethic. But back to your original question, how, how do I get that balance? I, when I was a high school band director, I was, um, I was about 10 years into 12 years as a high school band director. And I was, my arranging and composing career had taken off to being a point where one, I was making more doing that than I was teaching at a high school band. Uh, two, I was, um, it was, had become almost a full-time job. I would get home at the end of a day on the odd days that I didn't have a sectional to go back to at night or a concert or a rehearsal. On those nights, I'd come home, we'd make some dinner, we'd spend an hour together. Then I would hit to go to my piano and, and write until one or two in the morning, get a few hours of sleep, up at the crack of dawn, back do it again. <clears throat> it was killing me. But I couldn't, I couldn't give up any of it. I loved all of it. But, but Amy noticed that this can't continue to go on. You're going to go crazy. We're going to go crazy. We don't have a life. Um, she encouraged me at that time to ask my high school, uh, it was Novi High School at the time over east side of the state, if they would give me a, a leave of absence to just try just the composing and arranging things, see if I liked it. Because I'd already, I knew that I could make a living at it, but I didn't know if that's really what I wanted to do. So I did. I asked on my wife's urging, I asked the school, can I get a leave of absence? They give me a one year leave of absence. If you don't like it, you can come back and same job. So I I started that. And that's when I started some doctoral work. I I wanted to take conducting lessons with John Whitwell, who was the the director of bands at Michigan State at the time. And I asked John, hey, you know, I'd love to take private lessons with you. He said, well, why don't we start you on a doctoral program? I'm like, no, I'm not going. Really, teaching at the university level was the furthest thing from my mind still, because I kept watching my friends that would go to the university. They'd teach at Northwest Minnesota College for three years, and then they'd go to Western Nevada state and then they go to Eastern Florida. You know, it's like all over the country. And by that time in my life, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a Michigan guy. I want to, I kind of want to just stay here and teach. Um, and so I, I'm sorry, I'm getting off onto a lot, lots of tangents here, but anyway, so that year I was going to write full time, but I was dabbling in some conducting. He convinced me to start doctoral program, but it was very part-time while I wrote. And, um, I realized quickly, wow, this is so amazing to have the flexibility of schedule, get up in the morning, put a pot of coffee on, write music, you know, do some business things, zip up and take my conducting lesson or conduct the campus band or whatever I was doing. And I was like, wow, I like this variety. I like this. I'm not on task from 7 a.m. until 9 p.m. like I was as a high school band director, but I was still doing all the things. But what I realized really quickly was I missed the humans. I loved the notes. I loved creating, but I missed making the music with people on a regular basis. That was like, hit me over the head. You can't not do that. And so fortunately, John Whitwell's advice to start a doctoral program, I got enough credits toward a doctoral degree that when Eastern Michigan came knocking and said, hey, we need an associate director of bands, would you be willing to to do that? And it was kind of an interim position. 
be the marching band, conduct the symphonic band, teach a music met, um, band methods class. And, you know, at first I was like, ah, I really, I was still kind of feeling wiggly about getting into the university thing, but talked me into it. The schedule, I, I could see, wow, the schedule is far less constricting than teaching in, a, in the public schools. And, and I could maybe have more time for my writing and still do these things. And I found really quickly that, yeah, this is the answer. You know, I was never any less busy than I was as a high school band director, but as a different kind of busy, it was a little bit more flexibility to kind of fit all these kind of things in. And, um, and so by default, I think I created a situation that had more balance for me by, by going the university route. Um, even when I went to the university, after a year of being associate director of bands at Eastern, um, the director of bands um, resigned and I became the interim director of bands. It's like, oh my gosh, all of a sudden I'm director of bands at a division one university. This is not, it really was not part of my plan. And then a national search later, I kept my job and suddenly I'm director of bands at Eastern to go to Michigan after that was as much about the schedule being different enough, allow me to finish my doctoral degree so that when mm -hmm. the next position for a director of bands job, hopefully Western or Central, I was kind of putting my eggs in those baskets. <laughs> Maybe one of those guys will retire at just the right time. And Bob Spradling, my predecessor at Western, chose exactly the right time to, to retire, happened to get the job. And so now, even though, yes, I work every weekend, every evening, I have dinner with my wife and we hang out and watch a movie or watch Netflix or something like that. So I, I've kind of finally gotten to a point where even though I work every weekend, I work every day, the evenings are pretty sacred unless I've got a concert or a recital to go to that we get those four or five hours of hang time. And I, that's kind of where, where I've been able to find that balance. Um, I give up my weekends, but then Amy and I are passionate about seeing the world. We're world travelers. We, any opportunity we get at least once a year, we're going two weeks to Croatia and Greece, or we're going to South Africa or a um, few years ago, we did Kenya, Tanzania, Safari. And I mean, those kind of things, you know, I work, 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 and then I play. <laughs> <laughs> And so instead of having those consistent, I see my friends out on the lake every weekend. I don't get that, but I get these saturated periods of time that are fantastic that get me through to the next time. Long answer to your short question. No, but yep. absolutely. Absolutely. Because I mean, we do need time to just relax. And so, and whatever works for you, that's, I think that's what we talked about for both seasons now is find what works for you. And so that works for you and it's, it's all good. It's all good. I, I like my, my time. So it wouldn't work for me, but Hey, Hey, if it works for you, it's all good. <laughs> yeah. To each his own. Yeah. Well, this has been a great, a great chat and a great, I don't even know, interview. It was more of a conversation. So thank you, Dr. Bormer, for joining us and giving up your Sunday, um, or at least an hour out of your Sunday. And I'm back to the notes right after this. <laughs> back the, back, I better hear them. I better hear them. All right. <laughs> well, thank you, everybody, for tuning into this week's of episode of Relative Pitch. Um, if you like to 
know Dr. Borman know, uh, more. He has an email address uh, on his website. I presume it will be, you can just look up Dr. Scott Borma, WMU, and you will find everything you need to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and other than that, check us out next week. Check us out um, whenever. Check Dr. Borma out, and we'll see you all next time. Great to talk to all. See y'all.